Hello and welcome to this podcast hosted by the Boys Turner Employment Group. This episode is being recorded at our HR conference on achieving sustainable workforce productivity and the aim is to give you an overview of the talking points and issues that were raised. My name is Andy Whittaker. I'm a director in the employment group at Boys Turner and you're going to hear me getting the thoughts of some of the main speakers at the conference. Gary Impitt is Head of Corporate Sales at Vitality Health. He was here to discuss the UK's largest health and wellness survey. It's called Vitality Health's Britain's Healthiest Workplace and the Business Case for Workplace Wellness. Earlier on this morning, Gary, you were talking about the, the business case for um, focusing on well-being in the workplace. Yeah, I think businesses across the UK are kind of waking up to this very simple and logical kind of thought process that actually the healthier your employees are, the more productive they are. And um, using Britain's Healthiest Workplace Survey, we're now able to show the true tangible value in having healthy uh, employees. And you shared with us some some really interesting statistics about the the, the cost in terms of productivity loss um, in respect of ill health within the workplace. Yeah, uh, I think the uh, the cost that we've seen so far is eighty one billion pounds in the UK of lost productivity. Obviously, that filters down to individual companies, um, and and those companies can also kind of benefit from from getting their uh, employees healthy and and reduce that kind of productivity uh, loss. And another thing that really stood out for me was the the distinction you drew between the amount of productivity days lost by the healthiest employees in a in a workplace versus those that are lost who perhaps live a less healthy lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. There's a there's a 25 day gap between the um, the most healthy and the least healthy, if you like, um, and that's a huge amount of kind of lost cost, if you like, um, for a business. But also, if you turn that around, that is your margin really compared to the, you know, if you're competing against a very, very healthy uh, business competitor and yourself, that's a big margin to be losing uh, per employee. One of the other things that I picked up from your talk was um, the challenges in getting employees to maybe focus on wellness, where there's barriers to entry as far as actually obtaining or making best use of, of wellness opportunities that are there for them versus just relying upon healthcare as a short term fix. Even if you know that you should be doing something healthy, um, we know as individuals we don't do it. And, and as you mentioned, there's a number of barriers that stop us doing that. One is that we think we're over-optimistic. We're over-optimistic about our health. We think we're healthier than we are. Um, a second is really how do you quantify? If I run every day, if I go to the gym every day, what does that mean to me? Do I, do I get an extra 10 years of life? Or do I, you know, what, what does it really mean? It's very intangible. Um, so that's a two tricky kind of barriers to overcome. And then the kind of final piece is that actually we're simple creatures. We actually want a reward at the end of the day. We want to be rewarded for doing the right thing, even if we know it's the right thing for us anyway. So why shouldn't employers just look to introduce a whole host of initiatives and, and hope for the best? <laughs> Yeah, I think I think employers have done that over the last sort of ten years or so, as we kind of, uh, or as employers have fumbled their way through to trying to uh, find the right uh, route. Uh, what is important actually is, it, it's important to have a host of uh, initiatives in place because we're all unique, and we all buy into different uh, elements. But it's also important to structure those in a way that that are very visible to employees under perhaps an umbrella health and wellness plan within the business. And that the culture of the business is to be one of a healthy, uh, healthy population. 
Um, so th those are the key elements that, that a business needs to look at when they're developing a health and wellness plan. Gary and Pitt from Vitality Health, thanks very much. Thank you, thanks. That was Gary Impitt, Head of Corporate Sales at Vitality Health. Geraldine Joachim is a clinical hypnotherapist. Her field of expertise is how organisations can recognise sleep as a foundation for well-being and support their employees in getting a good night's sleep. Geraldine led a session on the subject. And one of the things that you picked up on is the importance of people being mindful of their own natural rhythm. So you spoke a little bit about um, circadian rhythms and also ultradian rhythms. So, so starting with the first, circadian rhythms, can you explain a bit more about that and, what, and how that affects us? Yeah, sure. So the Alcadian rhythm is um, it's a 24-hour rhythm that happens obviously over a 24-hour period and it really dictates when your body is going to feel tired, ready to go to sleep, when it's going to be hungry, when you've got natural energy bursts. And then within that you have these shorter Ultradian rhythms which last between sort of 90, 120 minutes, they, they typically are a period of activity and a short period, around 20 minutes of rest. And they fit within that circadian rhythm, so they're a repeating cycle that goes on throughout that 24-hour period. So from an employer's perspective, one thing that you could do is look to encourage your employees to recognise their own rhythms and, and establish and work towards more of a routine in their daily lives. Yes, absolutely, and it is really about education this is about giving your employees the tools that then they can go and self-manage in their own lives nobody's expecting your employer to kind of stand over you at that moment when you need to go to sleep or when you're going to eat or when are you going to exercise so taking into account the rhythms that we've been speaking about it seems like it would be a good idea for employers to recognise that and to allow periods of rest for employees or to recognise that and build that into people's day to have, have some downtime. There have been rather um, unscientific studies into the um, benefits of having a rest in the day and um, certain studies have found that if you allow your employees to have a short nap of around just 20 minutes you can um, increase productivity by up to 30% so in anyone's books that's quite a good return on that short investment of allowing them to have a, a small sleep and there are particular lulls in our day so the ultradian rhythm is, a, is your rest activity cycle but particularly around lunchtime uh, around midday is a time when you would naturally have a, a rest period. Well Geraldine Joachim thank you very much. Thanks a lot Andy lovely talking to you. I'm now speaking to Barry Stanton who is head of group for the employment group at Boys Turner. You've been talking this morning about um, options for perks that can be offered by different employers. Uh, what are the most unusual ones that you've seen or, or more common ones that are being used more often these days? So Andy, it, it seems that there's a lot of perks out there. So we have people taking uh, unlimited holiday, sabbaticals, but then some of the more unusual ones would be fraternity leave. So when you have a new pet, you can take, uh, take the next first week off to look after the pet or having a life co life coach or a life concierge to help you organize running your children around or maybe a party so lots lots of perks but what they really have to do is they have, they have to speak to the employees that you have and, and deal with their issues and make their life easier for you. So ultimately it's about adding value for the employee while they're in the workplace? Absolutely if the employee feels that the benefit the, the perks are relevant to them then they're going to be more engaged and 
probably stay with the employer longer and help retention for the employer. And finally, Barry, you mentioned earlier about a, a, re, a brand refresh for the employment group and our focus now on, on providing solutions for our clients. Yes, Andy. Um, we, we've had for many years, we've provided a service, but we want to see ourselves and be perceived as providing solutions to the HR community. So not, and not just pure employment law, but uh, the wider uh, community. So we have HR consultants, so we have an, a consulting solution that can provide HR, HR solutions, and not just within the narrow confines of what one might cons- could perceive as being a consultant's role, but we have a, a very wide range of consultants to help there. A training academy uh, and coaches to help businesses help their employees progress and develop, but also team coaches to help businesses drive productivity through the team. So we've got a new brand that we're using to communicate that to our clients. Yes, Andy, that's right. It's now called BTHR Solutions and it has its own microsite. I'm now with Emma O'Connor, the Head of Training for the Boyce Turner Employment Group. And Emma, your presentation earlier this morning was all about taking a fresh look at fairness within the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've become too focused really on the law and our legal obligations and and really looking at fairness as a tick box exercise. And what I really wanted to show is that if we take a step back and look at fairness for the whole uh, employee population, that really we can get our employees more engaged and more productive. And there's a business case for doing this, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, a less engaged workforce, a less productive workforce costs your business, uh, costs your business economically, but not just that. When you have employees that are disengaged, it can lead to conflict within the workplace. And as a result of that, and if we don't manage these uh, conflict situations effectively, we can uh, run the risk of claims. And I discussed as part of the uh, presentation this morning how claims in the Employment Tribunal are on the rise and the economic consequences of that as well. Now as much as we don't want to be hidebound by the law we also need to be mindful of initiatives that the government's taking either whether it be by imposing statutory provisions or requirements or just looking into um, new codes of practice. So what sort of things are on the on the horizon as far as that's concerned in promoting fairness in the workplace? I think the main focus uh, really is on sexual harassment and I think this is one area where we will most definitely see some form of legal change and particularly around a proactive duty on employers not just to um, deal with issues of uh, when they arise but also a proactive duty to prevent um, sexual harassment at work and really we're looking there at not just your policies and your processes but really we're focusing on training we've got to raise the the profile of, of this area amongst the work force. Um, The other issue I think we will see uh, with regards to sexual harassment is obviously focusing on third party harassment which is is currently lacking within uh, the Equality Act Um, and also looking at whether as as part of the consultation on this issue as to whether we actually need to extend the limitation period from three months to six months and part of the consultation was whether the current three month limitation period was actually a bar to justice. That was Emma O'Connor, Head of Training for the Boys Turner Employment Group. Professor Karina Nielsen is the Chair of Work Psychology and the Director of the Institute for Work Psychology at the University of Sheffield. Professor Nielsen was here to talk about her research into returning and thriving at work after long-term absence. What I'm going to talk about is how can we help people return to work and stay at work and thrive at work 
Um, a lot of the return to work literature has focused on how to get, keep people back at work and then we don't really care what happens afterwards. But the issue is that if you've gone on, on sick leave because of your job and the job doesn't change once you have returned, guess what? You're probably not going to stay in that job. We focused on people's experiences and what helps them, but there's other research that does show that relapse is quite significant. Uh, I presented some numbers today that said that up to 20% have relapse and 20% and leave the labour market altogether. And of course that has huge consequences for individuals, for families, for organisations, but also society as a whole because of disability pensions, those kind of things. During the course of your presentation, you referred to the, the igloo framework that you and your colleagues have come up with. Could you, could you explain a bit more about that? Yeah, so at the core of the igloo framework is basically it's two basic arguments. What we are saying is that when you look at what supports people stay and thrive at work, you need to understand the factors that influence, that help people, both at the workplace but also outside the workplace. And you need to be looking at five different levels. So if we take the workplace as an example, you need to understand what people bring to the workplace, what kind of resources do they have, how good are they, for example, at shaping their job in a way that helps them stay at work. At the group level, do they have supportive colleagues? At the line manager level, does their line manager understand how to support employees, what kind of work adjustments are needed? At the organisational level, what kind of HR policies are in place to support? Can you get counselling? Do you have access to counselling? And at the uh, national level, what are the attitudes and what are the policies in place? Uh, for example, in, in, with respect to, to uh, sickness absence, what are the laws? What is the support that are at the societal level? So it's basically looking at what's inside and outside work at all these five levels. And another key issue that I picked up on as well was the importance of a line manager in this process and how obviously depending on how supportive or how much buy-in you have from the manager will most likely impact upon how successful that return to work process might be. Absolutely. Line managers play such a key role in this because they are the ones that quite often give you access to other support within the organisation. They are also the ones that can give you you know, if you're feeling bad on a certain day or you're feeling low, they're the ones that can say, it's fine to go home today, don't worry about it. They're the ones that can make work adjustments. So they're really, really key to this. So it's very important that we train them to understand what are common mental disorders and what kind of support can you give people that suffer from common mental disorders. Professor Nielsen, thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Voice Turner. As well as giving you an idea of the main themes of the conference, I also hope it's made you think about how you can go about achieving sustainable workforce productivity. Remember to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use for all future episodes. Finally, keep an eye on our website, boysturner.com, for news about further events and also details about the work that we do. Goodbye for now.